we know so little about him, but at the same time, we know so much about all the good that was done by him. We don't know when he became a Christian or when he even first heard the name of Jesus preached. We have no record of any words in his sermon or any in-depth knowledge of any miracles that he performed with his own hands. His name appears 23 times in the book of Acts and five times throughout Paul's letters. But those that are familiar with the New Testament, we know so much about his great life and all the great things that he did in order to encourage other people. We first encounter him in Acts chapter four, as was just read by Dwight into our hearing a moment ago. There was a great need that arose in the church. And while others were giving. Barnabas went above and beyond the call of duty. And we're told in verses 36 and 37, he sold a piece of property and laid it at the apostles feet and gave all of the proceeds to them. He did such a good job in this that his name was formerly Joseph, but his name was changed to Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Later on, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22 down through 24 that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And everything he did in his life was designed to help and to encourage He worked with one of the greatest preachers in the first century. He went on missionary trips. He helped to install elders to steady the church in times of difficulty and in controversy when false doctrine was being taught. He was a part of a growing and thriving evangelistic journey with Paul on his first missionary tour. Barnabas was a great man. He was such a great man, in fact, that the Holy Spirit has to say this about him. The one time that the New Testament says he behaved less than admirably. In Galatians chapter 2, when there was a great debate about circumcising the Gentiles and some separated from them, Barnabas is such a good man that the one time the Holy Spirit said Barnabas acted out of character. The Bible says in Galatians 2 and verse 11, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy as if to say Barnabas is such a good man. This is not his normal course of behavior, his normal course of action. He normally does the right thing. You struggle to find a person in the New Testament more upstanding and spoken better of than the man we know as Barnabas. But they're one of his qualities that stands head and shoulders above the others, and that is that he was an encouraging individual. Imagine being so bright. Imagine being so optimistic, such a positive individual, that the apostles see the good that you're doing, and they say about you, you know, your name's Joseph, but Joseph just won't do. We've got to do something else, something better. We'll call you Barnabas. What if the Holy Spirit was giving out nicknames today based on the way that we behave? What would your nickname be? You know, the truth is we're known by our deeds and our disposition. No matter how much we wish it were otherwise, Barnabas had a lot to live up to with that name, but he lived up to it. There's so much we could say about Barnabas and the way that he encouraged. But for the second time in our lesson, I want to look at five ways that Barnabas encouraged people in the first century. Five ways that Barnabas in his life that we see, and we'll just limit our study to the book of Acts and what it says about the ways that Barnabas encouraged, ways we all need to be encouraged ourselves and also to encourage others. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Acts chapter four for the first one. Number one, Barnabas encouraged through a sacrificial and selfless example. You know, sometimes we say about generous people, he or she would give you the shirt off their back. But in the first century, a very similar thing was happening with the Christians that were there in Jerusalem. There was a great need and many were all of one heart and one soul. Verse 32 says, but Barnabas, he had a piece of property and he laid it down at the apostles feet, at least the proceeds after he had sold it. This laying down of the proceeds at the apostles feet was his way of saying it belongs to you. It's totally yours. Do with it as you wish. Barnabas did this deed. And as a result, the apostle said, let's nickname him the son of encouragement. 
Romans 12 and verse 13 says Christians are to distribute to the needs of the saints. And that's exactly what Barnabas does on this occasion. You could put him in the same classification as the widow in Luke 21, 1 through 4, where Jesus nudges his disciples and says, look at what she's doing and putting in money into the temple treasury. These have cast in out of their abundance, but she has cast in out of her living everything that she had. And the Holy Spirit does it here to us in Acts chapter 4. He's to say to us, I want you to notice. In the fast-paced book of Acts, he slows us down to say, hey, take notice of this. Notice what this man has done. He's given away all of his proceeds and his property because he's such a great encourager. You see, if we read Acts chapter 4 and we walk away with something else other than this, we've missed the point. We shouldn't approach the text and say, does this mean that God wants you and me to give away all of our finances to other people? No, Barnabas shows us something better. If we look closely at the text, what God has shown us through Barnabas is that God ultimately wants you and me to see what he did with his money and do that very thing with our lives. We're to give all of ourselves away. Luke 9, 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that's what Barnabas does. The Holy Spirit knew we needed to read about men like Barnabas. We might read about David and Paul and Abraham and think these men in their virtue is far out of our reach. But Barnabas is tangible. Barnabas is accessible. Barnabas can be mimicked. Barnabas can show us how it's done. We can do this. We can live up to his example. We can encourage others. And he encourages us before he ever says a word with his deeds. He says there are people in need. And this is how you help them. He shows us how to be the people that God would have us to be and encourages us through his sacrificial example. I don't know if schools still do this, but you remember career day. This wasn't a job fair. It's when other individuals with their careers, many times the parents of the children, would come into the schools. And the the idea was this. Hey, here's a doctor. Ask him all the questions you want. Or here's a lawyer. Ask him how he does his job. Or here's a mailman. And you're to interview these individuals and see what their job is like. Barnabas is spiritual show and tell for encouragers. As God says, here it is. This is what it's like. This is how it's done. Look at what he's done and go and do likewise. Hebrews 3.13 says we're to encourage one another every day while it's called today so that no one will be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This word for encouragement that's used for Barnabas in Acts 4.36 and 37, it's a word that means to lift up the spirits of somebody else or to urge them or encourage them to do better. And Barnabas does this through his financial contribution and sets an example for the church to follow. In the next chapter, Luke will tell us about a couple who tried to be as encouraging as Barnabas, but they didn't want to pay the price. Ananias and Sapphira, they pretend to be benevolent and encouraging and to give away their proceeds, but they weren't all in like Barnabas. Barnabas says, you can do this. He says, be encouraging. Every one of us has an example that we wield for good or bad. The Bible teaches us through good and bad examples, but Barnabas is in the good category because the way that he lived teaches us that we must give our lives away to others as well. This is Charles Chuck Finney. The exclusive Forbes article that was about his life was titled this way. The billionaire who wanted to die broke has finally achieved his goal. He's a billionaire, an Irish businessman, and he has desired in his lifetime to give away all of his proceeds. He's got his billions down to about two million now so that he and his wife can live out the rest of their days on that. He's been interviewed and asked, why do you want to do this? He says, you know what? It's a lot more fun to give away the money while you live than after you've died. He's worked his hardest to give away many of his proceeds and much of it anonymously. Many people have never heard of Mr. Feeney. 
But he's giving away his proceeds because he says, I want to help people to have a richer and better life. It does no good to die with all of this in my hands. Barnabas says, God's blessed you. He's blessed your life. Don't die with your influence in your hands. See who you can bless and who you can give it to. Be an individual who encourages through your example. Barnabas, the first way that he encourages us is through the way that he lived his life and the way he encourages us to live ours. Number two, go to Acts chapter nine. The second way that Barnabas encourages us or shows us how encouragement is done is as he helps individuals to overcome their past. In Acts chapter nine, this is after Saul of Tarsus had become a Christian. <clears throat> you know his reputation. He was there a stone Stephen, Acts seven fifty eight. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, Acts 8 and verse 1. He wrecked havoc of the church, entering into houses and taking men and women and putting them in prison, Acts 8 and verse 3. His reputation for persecution was so large that by the time he becomes a Christian, Acts 9, 26 says nobody wanted anything to do with him. They were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was genuinely an apostle, that he was a Christian. And so what does Barnabas do in verse 27? He takes him and says he's seen the Lord on the road. And he's already preached his name. As a result, verse 28, Paul continues to preach the word of the Lord boldly. And in verse 31, there's peace in the churches of Galilee and Samaria and in Judea. Barnabas took a man who had a past and said, this doesn't have to define you. I'm not going to let the church there look at you the way you formerly were. He encourages by saying, I want to help you overcome your past. You know, the New Testament way works that Christians are to help one another to see what God has forgiven and forgotten. We need to do the same thing. Paul wrote in First Corinthians six, nine through eleven, that the Corinthians formerly blasphemers and persecutors and that they were those that had practiced homosexuality and that they were drunkards. But they were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And because of that, Paul says their past couldn't be held against them. And Barnabas brings Saul of Tarsus along and he says, You don't get to hold his past against him. Notice in the text in verse 27, he mentions two things that Paul had done or experienced that should remove any prejudice toward him. The first thing is he had seen the Lord on the road. And the second thing is that he had already been preaching the Lord in Damascus. Essentially, what Barnabas says is this. God has forgiven him and received him and his deeds manifest repentance. And so the only proper recourse for us to exercise is to forgive him of any wrongs. And to receive him with open arms. While most of the church held Saul at arm's length, Paul Barnabas says, let's embrace him and receive him and see him as he truly is. He helped him to overcome his past. You know how many people I've talked to and maybe you have, too, who say, you know, I would come to church, but I can't. I've done so much. I've been so bad. If I walked in, the church walls would cave in. I just can't do it. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much bad I've done. Most people believe what the Bible says about God's forgiveness. That he cast sins into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19, with this one parenthetical statement. God can do that. God will do that. But just not for me. Oh, they believe God's merciful and forgiving and kind and gracious. But evidently, his kindness, his providence and his goodness always seems to outrun them. People that say they couldn't come to God because of things in their past. It's like someone saying, I won't go to swimming lessons because I can't swim. Or I couldn't go to the ER because I'm sick. That's the very reason you need to go. Our sins and iniquities were laid on him because we couldn't do it ourselves. Isaiah 53 and verse six. Jesus came to die because we couldn't behave ourselves into a forgiving relationship with God. Romans 7, 24 and 25. We can help people to overcome their past. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. And when we do so, we encourage them. Somebody says, how do we do it? Here are a few ways we help people and encourage them to overcome their past. Number one, 
remind them of God's work in forgiving them more than their work in failing him. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in trespasses and in sins, but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Remind them of God's work and forgiveness more than their work and failure. But number two, we can encourage people to overcome their past by silencing those who would bring up their past and remind them of the things in which they failed. Jesus was the master at this. They brought to him the woman taken in adultery, caught in the very act, as in John 8 and verse 7. Let he that is without sin among you be the first to cast the stone at her. That is to say, if you want to talk about past, we'll start with yours. Let's remind them of the powerful blood of Jesus. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1 and verse 5. Encourage people that their past does not have to define them, that we all have one. But too much attention given toward the past does nothing to change that, but does everything to hinder the present and the future. And that's why Jesus has that conversation with Peter on the beach in John 21, 15 through 17. Feed my sheep, never mentioning the denials and the failure of Peter on the night he needed him most. But to say, Peter, you can overcome the past. You can do better, but you have to go forward in the present. You see, Barnabas says about Saul of Tarsus to the church in Jerusalem, you don't get to find him by his past. He's not the same person. He's changed. He's converted. He's called. And it's about time that we see him that way. You know people like this in your life. Maybe it's you and you just can't get over it. Barnabas says, be encouraged. Your past isn't the end, but you have a great future with God. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's as far as he's moved our transgressions from us. And when God removes our sins from us, we don't have his permission to chase them down and bring them back up again. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says, I'll remember your unrighteous deeds no longer, your sins and your iniquities. I won't hold against you. Barnabas was a great encourager because he stuck his neck out for Saul of Tarsus when nobody else would. When nobody else would speak up for Saul, Barnabas says, He's better than that. He's a changed man. He's God's spokesman. Maybe you've seen Men in Black before, but in the movie, the agents have this tool. They call it the neuralizer. And if they flash this before your face, you're dazed and stunned immediately, and you forget everything that's transpired before then. Sometimes I think we wish that when we got out of the waters of baptism, don't you wish God had a spiritual neuralizer that once it was flashed, and maybe even after baptism, everything you've ever done, not only was it forgiven, But it was forgotten by God and also by you. There's a problem. If that were the case, if we forgot everything, the moment we were baptized or the moment we prayed and asked God for his forgiveness, not only would we forget the bad deeds that we have done, which we might prefer, but we wouldn't be able to remember God's amazing grace and his forgiveness. So that doesn't solve our problem. The reality is when you and I become Christians, so much is different. In heaven, God says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. But on earth, so much is the same. God doesn't give us a spiritual neuralizer that says, hey, you get to forget everything you've ever done. He gives us something better. He gives us people like Barnabas who come alongside us and speak up for us and to us when we can't forgive ourselves, when we can't get over the things we've done and how we failed and messed up. God says, I've sent you people like Barnabas so you might remember Romans 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh. To the spirit, you're forgiven. You're a son, a daughter. It's about time you act like it and see yourself that way. Number three, Barnabas encourages those that are striving to please the Lord. You know, Barnabas wasn't a Christian at large, just living out in the world. He connected his work to local congregations. In Acts chapter 11, 
the church is doing so great in Antioch that the apostles send Barnabas down so that he might go and see how those Christians are doing. And we read about him in verse 22 down through 24. He came. He saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he encouraged them that with singleness of heart, that they would cling to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was a good man, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They send Barnabas to encourage these Christians to keep doing the right thing. Later on in Acts 14, he and Paul are rounding the bases on churches that they had previously established. And they go to Iconium and to Antioch and Lystra. And in Acts 14, 21 and 22, Luke tells us that they encourage the disciples that we, through many tribulations, must inherit the kingdom of God. Barnabas doesn't just encourage us through his example and those overcoming the past. He also encourages people who are striving to please the Lord. This is important. If we're not careful, we will use all of our time, all of our resources and all of our energy to encourage the weak. And we need to do that. But if we're not careful, we might assume that those among us that are faithful and are strong, they sort of have their act together. They don't need any help. They don't need any encouragement. And if we do that, they won't be strong for long. Galatians 5 and verse 7, Paul says to the church that you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Maybe they needed encouragement. Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3, 11 and 12, see to it that no one removes your crown. And that's exactly what Barnabas does. He encourages people that are trying to do their best to serve the Lord, to keep doing that, to not give up, to press toward the mark. In Hebrews chapter 3, two times in verse 6 and in verse 14, we're told to hold firm and hold fast to what we've received so that we won't lose it, that we remain faithful. And that's what Barnabas does. He encourages people that are already trying to do the right thing to keep doing it and to hold firmly to the Lord, to be faithful and to not surrender. Turn your Bible to Matthew 10, Matthew chapter 10. And notice what Jesus says. Verse 22. He does the same thing with his disciples. That is, he encourages them that the only way they would eventually receive the promise of eternal life is if they persisted and if they didn't shrink back, if they didn't quit. Matthew 10, 22, he says, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end, he will be saved. You see, Barnabas wanted these Christians to know that just because you become Christians doesn't mean life's going to be easy. In fact, life may become more difficult. And so because of that, he says, hold firm to the faith. Don't give up. Don't surrender. You press toward the goal. It won't always be easy to do what you're doing and being a faithful Christian, but it'll always be worth it. And so Barnabas went around to churches and encouraged people to stick with what they had begun. A lot of excuses. He could have said, you know, the church in Antioch, it's a thriving place. It's a blossoming congregation. All I have to do is go in here and don't mess things up. They're kind of coasting along already. They don't need any encouragement. The churches in Acts 14, he could have said, these are recently established congregations. You really don't want to pour it on too thick. They've already heard enough doctrine. They don't really need to be further encouraged. But Barnabas knew the devil does not wait to pounce. And so you and I shouldn't wait to praise and to encourage. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of it. We psych ourselves out. We say things like, I don't want them to get the big head. But Barnabas was worried about getting them getting the small head and the small heart and losing heart. Listen. It's God's job to keep people humble. It's our job to keep them encouraged. Romans 14 and verse 19 says, do things that make for mutual edifying and building up. Encourage people so that they don't give up. I've seen it a lot in Florida 
when it rains, sometimes after there's this optical phenomenon, this mirage, it looks like there's water on the ground, but it's really not because of the way that the light rays are coming down and that sort of thing. It looks like a puddle of water is there. But when you come upon it, you realize it's not. And sometimes our eyes play tricks on us. And it happens in this regard. Sometimes we think we see a Christian with this Herculean like strength. She has it all together. She knows the Bible. He teaches it. He's a leader. There's no way this person would ever be in a scenario where they need encouragement. And so we don't reach out. We don't reach up. And sometimes they're weakened. Barnabas wouldn't let it happen. First Thessalonians five and verse 11 says, encourage one another and build one another up in mutual edifying, which you do. And that was Barnabas. Every time he saw Christians, he felt the need to encourage Paul had a twofold practice. Whenever Paul heard about churches that were doing the right thing, he did two things. He let them know that he heard about them doing the right thing. And then he prayed for them to keep doing it. Romans 1, 9 and 10, he says, I've heard of you doing great things and I hope you abound. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, he says, I've heard of your faithfulness in the Lord and I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Maybe Paul learned this from Barnabas, that people need to be built up. They need to be encouraged especially when they're already striving to please the Lord. Oh, the weak need to be built up. They need to be encouraged. They need to be sought after. But also the strong among us. Also those that are already sprinting in the right direction because they are often giving so much of themselves away to other people that they need other people to come alongside and re-energize and re-infuse them. Now, here's number four. Barnabas encouraged sinners that were in need of salvation. Barnabas's encouragement wasn't just designed for those that were members of the church. Barnabas also encouraged people who had never obeyed the gospel that they needed to do so as well. In Acts 14, when he and Paul are on their first missionary journey, he comes around and these individuals want to worship. He and Paul for their ability to preach and to speak. And notice his preaching is both urgent and inviting. In verse 15, he says they should worship the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And then he tells them he and Barnabas, he and Paul are not gods. But God left himself not without witness in verse 17. He gave rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling their hearts with food and gladness. And instead, they should direct their attention toward the Lord. Barnabas encouragement was as an example, giving away his finances so that other people could have what they need. It was reaching out to people like Saul of Tarsus and saying, hey, don't quit. Don't be defined by your past. It was for individuals who were already being faithful to the Lord. But here in Acts 14, we see Barnabas encouraged through his preaching to those that were outside of Jesus Christ. We said before the word for encouragement in the New Testament means to uplift individuals or to strongly urge them and encourage them to do what's right. And Barnabas was able to do this. He was able to do it without being harsh and without being cold. But he came alongside people that were lost and he said, listen, you need to obey the gospel. You need to become a Christian. You need to do the right thing. We need to encourage people in this regard. We need to see evangelism as a word of exhortation to say to people that are hopeless. You should turn to the one who is really your only hope. We should say to people who are on the edge of life's cliff, who want to give up and to surrender, who feel like they tried everything, that they should turn to the one who really wants to give them one more try. The father of mercy. Second Corinthians one and verse three. You see, Barnabas saw people that were lost, who hadn't obeyed the gospel, and he wanted to encourage them to turn to a better way of life, to find in Christianity what they could never find elsewhere, to allow themselves to be forgiven and changed. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, when they were in the synagogue there in Antioch of Pisidia, he and Paul told the people, through Jesus you can be saved through all things which you never could be under the law of Moses. Acts 13, 38 and 39. He was an encourager. 
Are there people in your life that you need to encourage in this regard? People in your life that you know they need to obey the gospel, but for reasons unknown to you, maybe to me, they've delayed their obedience. We need to say to those individuals, you know, it's about time you start thinking seriously about obeying the gospel. People that we know that have scheduled their obedience, they're going to become Christians after this event. And after that one, we should encourage them and come alongside them and say, hey, would you consider placing this most important and eternal decision to the head of the line? And thinking about doing what you know you need to do and become a Christian. Can we ask those who we've previously talked to before, but now we've allowed the conversation to grow stale and cold. Would you consider the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them who desperately wants to save you? Because he does. Part of Barnabas' encouragement was reaching out to sinners in need of salvation, believing that he had good news and they needed to hear it. And he wanted them to turn and to be saved. Our encouragement to other individuals needs to be the same way. Evangelism at its very heart to lost people. Jesus wants you to be saved. He died for it to be so and encouraging them. You never know. The person that you push on may have been waiting for that push, waiting for to say something and be a Barnabas. Now, here's the fifth and final way in which Barnabas encouraged and is probably his best. He encouraged those that were seeking a second chance. In Acts 15, some have said this is one of the saddest portions of the book of Acts because up to this point, Barnabas and Paul have been inseparable. Barnabas presented Paul before the church in Jerusalem and to the apostles when Paul needed a second chance. But now they're about to go back on their second missionary journey together and check on the churches and see how they're doing. Acts 15 and verse 36. And previously they had a young man by the name of John Mark. Acts 12 and verse 5 tells us. Acts 13 and verse tw- verse 5. Acts 12, 25 says he was their minister, their assistant. For reasons unknown to us, he turned back when they were in Pamphylia. Acts 13 and verse 13. Now they're at a crossroads. They want to go back and check on the churches. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark, but Paul won't go with them. Barnabas won't go without him. Paul says he should us because he deserted us on the way. And so they're at a crossroads. There's a sharp disagreement. Acts 15, verse 39 says, and these men decide to go their separate ways. You know, much has been written about this section in Acts and who was right and who was wrong. But one thing's for sure. From Acts 15, we learn how much of an encourager Barnabas really was. He was such an encouragement to other individuals that if you wouldn't encourage them, he would just simply say, you and I've got to go our separate ways because I can't give up on him. Who was right? Well, here's what we know. Paul took Silas and went his way. Barnabas took John Mark and went to his hometown of Cyprus and began preaching. John Mark went on to write the second gospel in your New Testament. Mark 1 and verse 1 is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. He went on to be a co-worker with Peter. First Peter, Peter calls Mark his son in the faith. And later, even Paul acknowledged his youthfulness. Second Timothy 4 and verse 11. At the end of his life, he said, bring John Mark. He's useful for the ministry. Maybe Barnabas was right. If anybody should have known about second chances, if anybody should have known people make mistakes and don't quit on them, it should have been Paul because just decades earlier, Barnabas was in the same position on behalf of him, but he missed it. Barnabas says, you give John Mark a second chance. Barnabas refused to put a period in the life of John Mark where God had put a comma. He says, Mark, you won't quit. You won't be a failure. You're going to be a better missionary than you were the first time. I'm going to encourage you. You're going to write a gospel in the New Testament. This won't be your end. If you want a second chance, Barnabas says, I'll give it to you. Last week, I was preaching in a gospel meeting in Texas Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Thursday. And there was every night what I would call on the front row, the second chance row. 
There was a man there. His name is Aaron. He's our brother in Christ. He had formerly lived a life of drugs, addiction, spent time in and out of prison and eventually obeyed the gospel. But even after obeying the gospel, he had to pay for past sins. He spent some time in prison. He got out, got his life cleaned up. And not only has he done that, but now he runs the recovery house there in Texas. But he's done more than that. He's baptized dozens of those men. And every night they filled the front rows of this gospel meeting and they brought visitors with them every night. He's turned. But not only has he received a second chance in Barnabas like fashion, he's found other people who need the same thing. And he's given them a second chance. And they were the second chance row. But the truth is, everyone in this auditorium could have been on the same row, not because we share their vice, but because we share their need. And we realize that all of us have fallen short of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so where Barnabas shines here brightest and giving people a second chance, this should be the natural reflex of Christians, because in the end, what we all intend to do is live eternally on a second chance from God. Don't you see, as Christians, our motto should be this is the family of God and we don't give up on people around here. Jude says in Jude 22 and 23, on some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And that's what Barnabas does here for John Mark. He says, Paul, you and I have been through a lot. We've been through thick and thin, but it's just my nature. I can't help but encourage him. Mark wants a second chance. And if this means you and I've got to double the work and go our separate ways, so be it. But he needs encouragement. And encouraging is what I do. In the end, you and I have the opportunity to be one of three people. And then we'll extend the invitation. The first is we can be the discouraged. This is the person whose life seems to be surrounded by a dark cloud. Nothing ever goes their way. Hardship is always besetting them, or so it seems. And they need to be reminded that even in the darkest of times, the light shines, especially the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or we can choose to be the deliberate and the diligent encourager. This is the person who's never seen a person they couldn't uplift. Always extending a hug or handshake, a smile, always looking to build other people up. You can't stand in this person's vicinity too long before they seek to reach out and encourage you. They don't look down on themselves and say, nobody's ever said an encouraging word to me. Nobody helps me. Their lives are so intertwined in the lives of others. Their vision's always outward. They're always seeing how they can build other people up and lift them up. They're diligent. They're deliberate. And they're consistent. Or third and finally, we can choose to be the discourager. This person does not hesitate to remind you that there are rain and storms and life forecasts and they're on the way coming soon. They've seen so much bad news that they just sort of prepare themselves for every worst case scenario. Not only will they not receive any good news, but they just assume that the bad is already taking place so, so that they're not disappointed. But they don't just do this for themselves. They do it for you. We all are one of the three. But as you and I read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, we know God wants all of us to be that second individual, that person that reaches out, that uplifts, that encourages, that builds up, doesn't allow people to give up on themselves because we serve a God who hasn't given up on us. Jesus is the greatest encourager known to man. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Our resumes spiritually read sinners. Damned to eternal separation from God. But Jesus comes and with his blood, he blots out that verdict and forever changes it so that we can be justified, saved as sons and daughters forevermore. That's heaven's encouragement to everybody in the world that says you don't have to be who you think you are. You don't have to be what you are. You can be who you are meant to be in Jesus Christ. 
Maybe somebody needs to obey the gospel in the spirit of Barnabas who encouraged people to turn from sin and become Christians. That's our plea this morning to you. Do that. Become a Christian. Maybe you've received a second chance from God, but you don't feel forgiven. You don't think that God loves you enough to do so. We'd be happy to pray with you, to pray for you, to help you in any way that we can. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage us. If you need to respond, come now as together we stand and as we sing.